Alright, so Jude chapter 1, look at what it says in verse 24. It says, now unto him that is able, a little echoey here, to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This verse right here, this is uh, in the book of Jude that ultimately is a book about the fact that judgment is coming for the false prophets. There are wicked people out there who pervert the gospel. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and they are going to get what's coming to them and thank God for it. And that's what this book is all about. It's a very comforting thought. These people are evil they, and they do great destruction to the souls of men. I mean, Jude, he can't preach any, he can't preach any harder than Jude did on false prophets in this passage. And it's very comforting. But then after he writes about all these horrible people who are very dangerous, he ends with a very comforting verse about Jesus who is able to keep us from falling and one day will present us faultless before the presence of His glory. Okay, folks, that, that's a really good verse about eternal security right there. One of these days, we are going to stand before God and He is going to present us faultless. There's only one way that can happen. Imputed righteousness. Okay? And that's another subject for another day. There's only one way that can happen. We're getting credited for the goodness of Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. And that is why one of the, one of the many reasons we believe in eternal security because it's not about our works. It's not about our righteousness. It's about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And He is going to keep us from falling. He will not let that happen. We will never lose our salvation. And so it is Jesus that saves us. It's Jesus that keeps us saved. We do believe in eternal security because of the fact we do not believe salvation is based on our works. We also know that maintaining our salvation or keeping it is not based on our works. It's based on the work Jesus is currently doing as our high priest. So, um, you know, my every day I need a high priest. Every day I need somebody make an intercession to God for me. And Jesus does that. And because he's there doing that work of the high priest, my salvation is secure. Because as long as Jesus Christ lives as the high priest, I can't be condemned. And since Jesus has already died and he's risen again, never to die again, I'm really secure, folks. It's a very, and it's a very comforting thought. And so the doctrine of eternal security, I believe without a doubt, um, is a fundamental doctrine. Now, when you go to the 1910 fundamentals, those guys didn't see fit to include that as a fundamental doctrine, but I don't really care. You know, I don't care who disagrees with me on that. This is a fundamental doctrine. We will break fellowship with people who do not believe in eternal security. I, I, there's, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna, be friends with people that are like that, that deny eternal security. That is, it's too much of a fundamental doctrine. I can disagree on a lot of stuff, but not eternal security. Can't do it. But this doctrine of eternal security, it often causes common questions. And we've all heard these things before. We hear them out soul winning. And one of the reasons I want to deal with this too is because I've, I've uh, you know, recently I've been doing these videos on eternal security and it's, you know, kind of prompted some questions from people on this subject, and I, I, I didn't want to just do another video on this because it would be too long. I thought I'd preach a full sermon on this doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And you say, you know, Pastor Tommy, do we believe in perseverance of the saints? Well, not like the Calvinists, that's for sure right now. You, you know, I, I do not believe in any of the tulip. So let me just say that right now. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to be associated with Calvinists in any way. I don't want tulips in this church. Okay, I mean, I, I so I so want to be far removed from Calvinists. I don't want tulips in the church. I don't want to wear skinny jeans, and I don't want an ESV Bible. And I don't want to be associated with that. It's this. I, I got a I got a big problem with pretty much everything about it. 
And so, uh, you know, whenever somebody gets, you know, so whenever you talk about that, though, then people come up with their hypotheticals. You know, what if somebody kills a whole bunch of people? Would they still be saved? You know, what if somebody gets saved and later becomes an atheist or a Calvinist? You know, where, where, are they still saved? You know, you know what, what do we have to say about that? You know, what if somebody gets saved and then later they, rep, they preach repent of sins for salvation? Or they're friends with somebody who preaches repent of sins for salvation. Are they still saved? You know, we come up with all these hypotheticals all the time. And typically you get two responses. There's, you know, you, or you can put all the responses in two categories. You've got one group that says the person is still saved. No, you know, even if they become a you know, mass murdering homosexual false prophet, you know, they're, they're still saved. You know, the, and these people are all weirdos and all, and what they'll do, they'll take second Timothy two thirteen out of context. All right, let's go ahead and turn over second Timothy two thirteen because I got to bring this up for anybody that's going to have a problem with this sermon. This is, this is their go-to. All right. I don't like to avoid their verses. I like to use their verses. So uh, you know, let's go ahead and isolate the text and see if they're right. You know, what, so what if you get saved? What if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but later you become a mass murdering homosexual false prophet? You know, will you still be saved? And, and if, you know, if you say, oh, well, if you are really saved, you never would become a mass murdering homosexual false prophet. All right. Well, then you believe in perseverance of the saints. So you're a Calvinist. You're not saved either. You know, it's amazing how hard it is to get saved these days. But verse 13 says, if we believe not. Yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. There you go. There you have it right there. I went on eSource. I looked up all the eSource. I looked up all the verses on believe. I saw that one. And that goes along with what I was thinking. That says what I needed to say. But here's the problem. Is that what it's talking about? Is this talking about if we believe not? In other words, if we're saved and we quit believing, he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Therefore, he's going to keep us saved. Is that what... Paul was talking about to Timothy right here. Now, we don't have time to go through all of 2 Timothy 2, but in 2 Timothy 2, he's clearly talking about preserving good doctrine. The things that thou hast uh, learned of me among faithful men, uh, heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's been talking about preserving that good doctrine. Paul suffered for those kind of things. And verse 9 says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. We're wanting to advance the word of God. We're wanting to advance truth. That's why it's so important that we preserve that good truth. That's why it's so important that we keep the leaven out of the church and the leaven out of our doctrine. We want to preserve truth because we want the word of God to go forward. We want people to keep getting saved. And so therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. If we let good doctrine go away, if we let this plan of salvation get muddied up and corrupted, people aren't going to be getting saved. So it's so important that we preserve this good doctrine. And so, and, and understand, this was a huge responsibility for them back then when they didn't have printing presses, when they didn't have the internet, when they didn't have Bibles distributed in mass, when the Bible is still being written. Thankfully today, because of the works of people like them, because of the things that they did, we've got so many Bibles all over the place now, it's going to be really hard for people to just not be able to get saved anymore. There's too much truth out there. And, and it's thanks to people like Paul. And, the, and not just Paul... That generation, the first century, and until today. And, you know, thank God it's been mass distributed, and so we're still able to get that truth. So he says, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, 
we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words and no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Remind them of these things so they don't get caught up in weird things that's just going to subvert people, it's going to confuse people. No, we're trying to keep people focused on the truth. So this whole chapter is about not just advancing the gospel, but everything that they have been taught. Advancing the truth is always going to come with opposition and God will always be with us through it all. And so when it says if we believe not, it's not referring to, uh, you know, believing, you know, not believing we're saved anymore, that salvation is by grace through faith. What this is referring to is, you know, people are going to, a lot of people are going to give up when it comes to the cause of Christ, when it comes to uh, advancing the faith. There's people out there who have been soul winners and you know what they have? They've quit. They're not, they're not doing it anymore. There's people out there that God promised them, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. And you know what? They gave up. They quit. They didn't believe the promises of God, not about salvation, but about God's protection, about God's provision. And even though these people didn't believe him, you know what? God always still does his part. Because even if we are not believing him, if we don't believe what he says, if we don't believe he's going to protect us, you know what? He's going to do it anyway because he cannot deny himself. So understand, this isn't just talking about for salvation. This is just talking about believing in the promises of God, the protection as we try to advance the gospel. He's going, he's going to do it. And you know what? God's going to get it done. Even if everybody here in this church, if we all say, you know what? I just, I don't believe we're going to be able to preserve good doctrine. I think the church is going to become so apostate that nobody is going to be getting saved anymore. No church is going to be preaching the truth. I just don't believe that God's going to let this thing go on and continue. And you know what? If we think that, if we believe that, you know what? He's going to abide faithful and the truth is still going to get out there. But it won't be through us. You know, we're denying him. You know, we're not, we're not believing him. But he's still going to get it done. And you know what? There's always going to be safe people. There's always going to be somebody preaching the truth. So this is what that's about. So to just go and to take this phrase and to, you know, apply it to a really weird hypothetical that people come up with, uh, you know, that's just a foolish thing to do. It's very weird to do that. And so you do have, you have that one group that whatever happens, you know, obviously they are still saved. Okay. Now there's the other group though, and when it comes to this group, I would include myself in this group, but let me say there is a very broad spectrum in this group. Okay. We are not being specific or real specific on these groups, but there's another group that expects one who is saved to persevere in their faith in one way or another. Okay, and so the, you know, this will get you accused of believing perseverance of the saints like a Calvinist, and then all of a sudden you got I got to distance myself. So you know I'm going to go with the goofball out there that you know thinks the mass murdering homosexual false prophet is saved. You know I, I'm you know I, I don't think we need to go that far. And so I am I am 100% opposed to all things Calvinism, and while I reject all the tulip, I will admit that everyone, you know, except that first group, does believe in some form of perseverance of the saints. I think, I think everybody believes in one person. And so, the, and, and you know, I, I hate that the Calvinists refer to that doctrine as once saved, always saved. Because I love the phrase, once saved, always saved. I love that term, once saved. And I'm not going to quit using it. But I get aggravated when people who are real anti-Calvinists try attaching Calvinism to me. 
because I believe, and that, that just annoys me greatly. There's some groups I just don't want to be associated with. But I'm not going to dump the virgin birth because I don't want to be associated with Catholics either. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting rid of those terms. So when it comes to this doctrine, there are all different levels people go into. And whenever somebody preaches this doctrine, anytime you listen to somebody preach on perseverance of the saints, listen very carefully to what they say because they will reveal where their faith really is. And that's why, you know, if somebody asks me, Pastor Tommy, do you believe in the P and Tulip? I'll tell, I tell them no. I, I don't. But the thing is, that doesn't mean there aren't some people out there that probably are pretty close to being right on some things. But there's so much more bad with it than good. You know, I, I do deny it. But what I want to do, before I'll call somebody a heretic, except I want to listen to him talk about it. I want to hear him define it. And because when they do it, that's when we find out where their heart really is. That's where we find out what they really believe. And so when it comes to this doctrine, it's real easy for me to straw man the Calvinists and just say things like, you know, I don't believe in perseverance of the saints. I believe in the perseverance of Jesus Christ. You know, and we've probably heard things like that before. In fact, Spurgeon, all right, and, and I'm quoting Spurgeon. Shut up, all right? I just, <laughs> I'm not endorsing him. This is just what he said. He said, I do not believe in perseverance of the saints. I believe in perseverance of the Savior. I like that too. Because Jesus persevered. Jesus never sinned. Jesus endured the cross. Jesus, so the, what keeps me saved is Jesus Christ. Okay? I don't like Spurgeon. All right? He was a cigar-smoking Calvinist. I obviously don't like him. That's a good saying right there. Okay? He probably stole it from a real IFB preacher. You know, chances are. But anyway, R.C. Sproul. I don't like R.C. Sproul either. But I'm not going to go strawmanning the Calvinists. Listen to what, this is what he said. He said, he, he said, this brings us to the P and Tulip. I'm sure you will be delighted to know that I am not going to change this letter. The letter stands for perseverance of the saints. However, even though I am not changing the letter, I'm going to change the word. I think the catchphrase, perseverance of the saints, is dangerously misleading because it suggests that the persevering is something that we do, perhaps in and of ourselves. I agree with that. That's one of the reasons I hate that. Because yeah, it's not about what we did, it's about what Jesus did. So then he goes on to say, I believe, of course, that the saints do persevere in faith and that those who have been effectually called by God and reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit endure to the end. They do persevere, but not simply because they are so diligent in making use of the mercies of God. The only reason we can give for why we continue in the faith until the last day is not because we have persevered so much, but because we have persevered. Now, here's what you have to watch for in this statement, because I technically agree with what he said. Obviously, he kind of throws a little bit of election stuff in there. That's another subject for another day. But when he says, in, you know, endure to the end, when he says persevere, here's what you got to ask people. What does that look like to you? That's, that's what you need to ask. And, and, and I'll show you what, what they end up revealing here in a little bit. Not necessarily R.C. Sproul in this, but when you start getting these people to clarify, I always, always give people a chance to clarify. If somebody says something heretical, give them a chance to clarify. If somebody you know is a heretic and they say something good, give them a chance to clarify, you know, and they'll reveal, they'll reveal themselves. So he says, I prefer the term preservation of the saints because this process by which we are kept in the state of grace is something accomplished by God. Now, if I may interject, interject something here, while I agree with this last statement, I agree with this last statement. 
I do believe that in the mind of most Calvinists, they see God persevere, uh, or preserving them from certain sins that they don't like. While I see God preserving people even if they are in sin. And so that's the thing. You know, if we started talking to R.C. Sprawl a little bit more, you know, I don't know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, you know, what about that guy that's just a drunk? You know, and you start bringing up all these things. Oh, well, you know, obviously if he really were saved, you know, he'd get over that. Well, you know, I, I, here, here, I can tell you this for sure. Anyone who is saved is capable of getting over it. I mean, any, anybody who's saved is capable of getting victory over the sin in their life. They have the Holy Spirit inside them. Jesus Christ is with them. Anybody who is saved, who is in the bondage of sin still, they're not in bondage. They are choosing to do that. They are choosing to walk in the flesh. They don't have to do it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy for them to get out of it. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy for any of us to stay out of sin. But if you have the Holy Spirit in you, one thing that's different now that you're saved from when you weren't saved, you can get victory over that. And we need to shove that down people's throats. You can get victory over this sin. If you're saved, you can do this. And if, because some people, it's like they're just sitting around just waiting for God to make all their temptations go away. It's not how it works. No, you need to ask God to give you strength. You know, you need to, you know, you need to get, just do what He said to do and you just need to trust Him. And anybody can, but not every, not everybody does. So, what many people do when promoting this doctrine is they read a vague definition of this doctrine or even one by itself that sounds pretty good. And then, and this is where you got to listen to what they say after they talk. They'll, they'll read a definition that sounds pretty good. But then they go on to expound a perseverance of the, uh, that is based on faith and works. That's what they're going to do. Which tells me they believe in faith plus works for salvation. That tells me they're off on James 2. And that's usually what they do. It's like, well, if you're really saved, you know, because our, in our world, you know, we're... I'm sorry, I don't believe if a person's saved, they're going to become, you know, a Mormon pastor. I, I don't think you're going to become a radical Muslim imam. If you're, I, just, I don't think you're going to do that. And you know what? I'm sorry. If, so, if, if somebody from this church who we think is saved later flies an airplane into a building screaming Allahu Akbar, I'm going to think, man, they were an infiltrator. I don't think they were saved. Uh, you don't believe in persevering. You're you're taking Calvinist. I don't know. I just I just can't imagine a saved person doing that. I'm sorry, you know, but I, I hope you don't think I'm a heretic because of that, or especially a Calvinist. But I don't. What's worse? I, I, anyway, but, but let, let's look at probably what I would consider one of the least heretical definitions of this doctrine. This is from the Westminster Confession. All right, this is what Calvinists tell me. You know, use this definition. Don't go to Wikipedia. Use Westminster Confession. Uh, you know, and this is kind of like their statement of faith. This is their Bible. You know, and if it's if uh, they don't like what the Bible says, they go to the Westminster Confession of Faith and, and go off of that. And I don't have time to go through every bit of this. I wish I did because they use scriptures to uh, promote some true statements, but the scriptures they use are out of context. And it's just like, I agree with you on this doctrine, but don't use that scripture. And, and I don't have time to get into that. I have them all down, but I, I'm not going to do that. But here's here's their definition. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by the Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Now, the problem I have with that is it makes it sound like they will be saved. I don't like that because I believe we are saved. So 
Um, you know, I'm not going to assume that they all believe the New King James Bible that says to those who are being saved. But I, I, I definitely think there needs to be a change right there. But then it go, on section two, section two is probably the worst part. Uh, just because it has some election stuff in here, but it says the perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God, the father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the spirit and of the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. Now, the reason I even I, I want to bring this up is because, you know, in that tulip, they have like the five pillars of Calvinism. And, you, and they will, I've heard them say this, you know, you take down one, they all go down. And so the thing is, they are dependent on things like election when you believe in their form of eternal security. Because their form of eternal security is twisted. Okay? So here's the thing. If you really do... And, and I'm kind of chasing a rabbit here. I probably, I probably shouldn't have done this. But because you said, I've talked to a lot of Calvinists. And you, you have to get deep to really uh, get to the heart of a lot of issues. But um, so when, when it comes to election, yes, it wouldn't make sense if God was just going to randomly save somebody. If God just randomly saves Austin. I mean, he didn't want it. He wasn't asking for it. He didn't look for it. He didn't, you know, but God just saved him. Well, then it just kind of makes sense that we're going to see some kind of natural change from that, too. And then if God's just, you know, randomly at his own will choosing someone to be saved, then why would it only be temporary? You see what I'm saying? So they believe in eternal security because if, it, if uh, otherwise election doesn't make sense. You see what I'm saying? Election doesn't make sense without eternal security, too. So just understand what caused them to get to eternal security, even though it's the right place, they got there the wrong way. You see what I'm saying? Now, we believe in eternal security because of the fact that we understand that salvation is just about the faith. It's not about the works. And because it's all about the work of Jesus and what he did for us, then obviously there's nothing you could do to lose it. There was nothing that we did to gain it. Therefore, there's nothing we could do to lose it too. So we kind of end up with in the same place, kind of. But you can see how they got there in a weird, twisted way, which is why it gets it can be very confusing and a lot of times very vague with people. You know, you listen to most Calvinists talk about perseverance of the saints. I mean, you're going to walk away wondering if you are saved because it's like, well, you know, I'm not quite as good as that Calvinist there, you know. How come I'm not persevering as much as he is? You know, and I mean, and honestly, how could you ever know you're saved? I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. You know, I've, I've seen people do some pretty crazy things. But here's the thing, well, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I do know this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is faithful. That, you know, that even if I don't believe him, he abided faithfully. He cannot just, no matter what I do, he's going to do what he's supposed to do. Okay, but understand, you know, that that right there is not, you know, they're getting to it in a weird way. And so God keeps his promises no matter what. And I refer to that, you know, if we believe not thing, just because, again, it's about the promises of God. I can quit. I can quit trusting God in those things. But, uh, you know, he's going to continue to do what he said he was going to do. Truth is going to go forward. So um, the last section of this, it says, nevertheless, 
they may say they may through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins. And for a time, continue their end. How much time? You know, that's kind of important. Uh, he, he went back into drunkenness for a year. Okay, what about the guy two years? You know, I mean, can you ever really know? Whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgment upon themselves. And then it just, you know, that's it. That's it. So the thing is, I mean, I agree with that. I believe a saved person can get really bad and do some pretty bad things. I, I believe that. And so, uh, you know, this thing, you know, this definition by itself, with the exception of section two, it's not that bad. But often when people start going into the hypotheticals, you know, they talk an awful lot about works. They, they really do. And so what should be our approach when it comes to this doctrine? How can I know for sure if someone else is saved or not? You know, is it wrong for me to have any expectations from someone who has professed faith in Christ? And so here's, here's what you have to do when it comes to this doctrine. You know, a lot of times what we do, we get really zero focused on one doctrine. And then we're, and then what we do we go through the Bible, we'll go to all these verses kind of about that one doctrine. We make all the Bible about that. But sometimes we take verses that we're using them out of context. What we're teaching over here is true, but we kind of misuse some of these verses over here. So even though we're right on this doctrine over here, a lot of times what it does when we've been misusing the, these verses, it causes us to get confused on another doctrine that technically we're also right on. But because we have you know, messed up the scriptures in these other areas, all of a sudden it causes us to start saying these two things conflict with each other and they don't really conflict. It's just you've been misusing verses to teach another true doctrine. And, and hopefully as we go through this, you'll kind of see how this happens. So when it comes to, you know, so while once saved, always saved is true. And, uh, and while we do all have some expectation of some kind of perseverance. Here's some things you've got to understand. Here's some things you always got to kind of keep balanced out in your mind. So the first thing, though, in order to understand this doctrine and make sure you uh, teach it right, is never compromise the gospel based on something you observed in someone's life. Okay, N never do that. Okay, John 3:16 is really clear that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John, uh, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is very clear. Okay, These verses could not be any clearer. The gospel is exactly what it says it is. But here's what you got to understand. There is such a thing as false professions. You understand that? Listen, mark it down in your book. Whoever believes on him is not going to perish. Mark it down. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And while the Bible teaches us the certainty of salvation, the Bible also teaches that there will be false professions, that there will be people who claim salvation who don't have it. And so here's what happens. We find ourselves in a situation where, you know, we're preaching about how free salvation is, no works, but then we see people do really horrible things that the Bible says lost people do, and then we're like, what happened? 
Well, here's the thing. This would probably be an example of a false profession that the Bible talks about. There is such a thing as that. And so it says in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's going to be people who claim to be saved, who, who claim that Jesus is our Lord, who probably did do wonderful works. Who probably did, you know, now, when I say they did wonderful works, you know, it appeared to be wonderful works. You know, their heart wasn't there. They did it trying to deceive, but they put one over on us. And you know what? Some people, I think, even put one over on themselves. But you know what? You're not going to put one over on God. And so just understand that not everyone who says Lord is actually saved. The Bible told us that. So it shouldn't be weird when people that we thought were saved end up doing some really horrible things and going into some really horrible doctrine. That's not us teaching they lost their salvation. It's just us expecting. We, we have an expectation that a saved person would continue in faith. We see in 1 John 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There were people that were with them that they thought were their brothers, that they thought were of God, but these people were denying that Jesus was the Christ. And so these people in the church are probably confused. Same thing going on. John, you've been preaching eternal security. You've been preaching that there's no works when it comes to our salvation. You've been telling us all this stuff about how we can know we have eternal life, how we can know that we're saved, but yet we've got these guys out there who hate us, who we thought were our brothers, they, they hate us. They're trying to kill us. They sound more like Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his own brother. They're denying that Jesus is the Christ and telling us that we're not of God at the same time because we believe on the Son. You know what John said? They weren't of us. And God ended up removing them so it would be made manifest that they were not of us. You know what that means? They were never of them, but it wasn't always manifest. You understand that? And there's going to be people that we believe are of us, but they're not. And one day, eventually, God will make it manifest that they're not of us. Second Corinthians 11.13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. Don't be surprised by this, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Boy, look at all the good things they're doing. Whose end shall be according to their works. Matthew 13, 24 says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the weak and went his way. And you know what? It's like we've got one crowd. They only want to preach on the doctrine of eternal security and how easy salvation is. And they want to ignore all the Bible about false professions, about tares among the wheat that God told us was going to come. I mean, the Bible flat out said, the devil is going to sow tares among the wheat. And you know, it's not obvious at first who they are, but eventually it's going to manifest itself. Eventually it will reveal itself. 
That, that's what the Bible tells us. So we can't be, we can't be surprised. And so understand, whenever that happens, it's revealed that someone's a heretic. And if you have to throw somebody out of the church or something like that, we are, we're not compromising on the gospel. We're not changing, that's not us changing the gospel. That's not us, you know, that's not us taking away someone's salvation and teaching you can lose your salvation. No, what happened is it was made manifest they were not of us. It finally revealed itself. Hebrews 6, 4. This is kind of a, a complicated passage here, but let me see if I can briefly explain it to you. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put them in open shame. This is saying it's impossible for that to happen. It's impossible for someone to get saved and then lose that salvation and then get saved again. You know, that, that's just, that, that's not possible. That puts God to an open shame. So watch this. He says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation that we thus speak. Okay, what this is saying here, it'd be like okay, Chloe planted a garden this year. Okay? Now, I'm not a gardening guy. I don't know much about gardens. You can show me a seed and I wouldn't know what kind of seed it is. But you know, she went out there, we tilled up some ground and she planted a bunch of things. And you know what? Eventually, you know, even me, I, I was able to tell what those things, what kind of seeds those were. You know why? Because those seeds grew. The rain came on it and then plants came out and you know there was corn and other things that she uh that she planted in there and, and you can go and look and say i know what that is now there were some other things that that was in that ground too in the beginning you couldn't see it but eventually weeds came up too and you know what she did she reprobated those things she rejected them and she pulled them out and cast them out of the garden you know why because there's no value to those things there, there, there's, there was no, there was no good to those things, but understand, you know, she didn't pull those things out and throw them away until it was revealed what they were. And that, and so the thing you got to understand, anybody can make a profession of faith, but eventually, you know, it's probably going to be revealed what they really are. You know, we're going to eventually see it. It will eventually be manifest. Now, don't ask me how long it takes. You know, I, I can't, I can't answer that question. Okay. But you know, when they become a mass murdering, homosexual, false prophet, it's manifest. You know, those are weeds. Those got to go. Okay. So, uh, you know, understand, you know, it, it, it eventually is going to become clear. You're going to have a period of time where maybe you're not real sure, but can you see how none of this is changing the gospel? The gospel is what it is. But there is such a thing as, as false professions. You know, we, so uh, we see um, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. Because, you know, here's a question, you know, because this is what we say. And then the work salvation crowd that believes you can lose your salvation, they will tell us, you know, you're just, you know, you're teaching perseverance of the uh, saints. Whenever, we, you know, whenever we say, uh, you know, we, we don't expect people, you know, if somebody does something like this, we will, we just say they were never saved to begin with, you know, and that's what they accuse us. But look what it says in first John three, eight. it says he that committed sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Notice that seed being mentioned there. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, I don't have time to go through all this, but obviously we saw earlier that you can still, we still have some sins as Christians. But I believe what this is talking about, what, what is being produced here. And these people he's addressing are people who are like Cain, who wanted to kill them, who hated their brother. And he was saying that, you know, this is manifesting who they are. And so understand that we believe a person is saved by their faith. Okay? That's what we believe. We believe a person is saved because of their faith, because they profess Jesus Christ. So you know what I expect? If a person got saved, was born of incorruptible seed by the word of God, and they are trusting in what God said to get them to heaven, you know what? I expect that seed to remain in them. I, I, that's what I expect. And so if I'm talking to them and they're professing Jesus is not the Christ, then I'm going to say they went out from us because they were not of us. I don't think that's right. This is very biblical. This is, this is a very biblical approach. This is not in any way teaching to work salvation. Now, the Calvinists, okay, a lot, of time, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, whenever, you know, they'll say the same thing, but we expect to see you continue in faith and the works, you know, keep coming to church or whatever it is they need you doing. Okay, we, don't, we don't even bring that up. That's not, that's not, what we, that's not what we bring up. We bring up their faith. And so uh, we don't expect them to hate their brother like Cain who tried to kill and persecute his brother. And so um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So another thing is what we watch. So when it comes to this, you know, judging salvation. And you know, it's okay to judge other people's salvation. Sometimes we're called to do that. Sometimes we need to do that. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So what we watch for in people should be based, and it is going to be based, on what we believe a person must do to be saved. So Paul, when he said, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you know, he's looking for their faith. Are they professing Jesus Christ? Are they talking about the cross? Are they talking about the death, burial, and resurrection? But what is it that we often do when we go out souling? When we go out souling, do we ask people about their works or do we ask them about faith? What do we do? God forbid if you die, do you know for sure if you go to heaven? And they say, if they say yes, we say, well, why do you believe a person going to heaven? What, what do you think a person has to do to go to heaven? And you know what a lot of them do? They talk about works. Well, be a good person. Keep the Ten Commandments. You know, you, you hear all those things. We want to hear him profess faith in Christ. We want to hear him have... I talked to God today. That's what he said. Have faith, have faith in Christ. You know, I asked him, so, well, hey, you know, so you believe salvation is a free gift. So do you believe there's anything you do to lose that salvation? He said, no. You know, now, you know what I didn't do? I said, well, um, have, have you drank in the last few years? And when was the last time you were in church? He actually mentioned the church he went to. It's not a very good one. Hmm, I don't know, you know. <laughs> Now, I, don't think he, I think he hadn't been there in a while. You know, how, how, I didn't ask him about his works. You know, when he professed faith in Christ and the right gospel, I assume that he's saved. And, you know, if he's not in church, you know, I, I invite him to come to this church and hopefully we can help him 
do better so he'll, the Calvinists will think he's saved. You know, that's what, that's what, we, that's what we try to do. But at, at the end of the day, you know, I think he's saved because of what he's professing. We don't ask them about their works because that's not what we're expecting. But you know what's funny? The Calvinists who want to criticize our soul winning, what is it they always talk about when it comes to the people that we get saved? Well, where's their works? You know, are they in church? Do they get baptized? Why are you bringing that up? Do you think that's what a person must do to be saved? Oh, uh, no, well, no, no, no. Salvation is without works. But if you get saved, there will be these works. Okay, so our justification no longer is in what Jesus Christ already did with His blood. It's in our church attendance. That's pretty. That's pretty lame uh, justification right there. Because some people go to church because it's fun. Some people go to church because they like, you know, the all the you know hip hop music and the coffee and all those other things. You you cannot judge salvation based on that. But that's exactly what these people do. It, you know, so uh, in Acts chapter eight, in verse thirty six, the famous story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch says, when they went on their way, came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, see here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you know what? Then they got baptized. You know, what he, you know what Philip didn't do? He didn't say, well, you're going to promise me? I know, I know salvation is not about works. Okay? Yeah, you can be saved right now, but before I know if I can baptize you or not, are you going to promise me you're going to start going to church? Are you going to promise me you're going to, you know, quit doing whatever Ethiopians did that was bad back then? He didn't do that. He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He said, I believe. And you know what he did? He baptized him just by that. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't ask him if he was going to repent of any sins. He didn't bring up any of that. He asked if he believed. And when he professed faith in Jesus Christ, no more questions, let's go do it. And he baptized him. And so that's what we do. All right? Because we... That's a, when, every time we go out soul we're judging somebody's salvation when we talk to them. Anytime people come here and they visit the church and they're, uh, they're, if they want to be a part of this church, I can get their salvation testimony. Why? I want to find out what they're professing faith in. And you know what I don't do? I don't ask them for a record of their works to see if they're being good enough Christians. Now, obviously, if they're in deep sin, you know, we, we're going we're to deal with those things. And we'll say something about that here in a little bit. But at the, at the end of the day, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for where they are professing faith. So the next thing is always remember that we are never going to be 100% accurate on these things. And especially when we are judging someone's, you know, we're judging somebody's salvation based on their works. That's when we're probably going to be wrong most of the time. But you say, well, should we ever base somebody's salvation on their works? Okay, well, here's the thing about that. Anyone can verbally profess faith in the right gospel to us. I mean, you don't have to listen to a whole lot of our sermons that some infiltrator can come in here and he will know exactly what I want to hear. You understand that? So at the end of the day, we can't see the heart, can we? We're not like God. We can't see the heart. We can't see their faith. But here's what we can see. We can see their works. That's all we can see. And that's what we have in James chapter 2. Where he says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so understand, there are some things that we have been called to judge as a church. And so if we're looking at somebody, so if somebody comes to this church, 
And they are. They do become, you know, we, if they become a mass murder. You know what we're going to do? We're going to remove them from the membership. You know, we're, we're going to do that. Well, why don't you think they're saved anymore? You know, I mean, do you read what the new, you know, do you read what they did to that person? You know, they're, you know, they're, they're all homosexual now. You know, and, and, but, but they're professing faith in the right gospel. I don't believe them. I'm sorry. I, you know, I can't see their heart, but I'm looking at these works and I'm just thinking there's no way. Okay, now, and I, you know, and I use an extreme example right there, but we got to say it's not wrong for us to look for works in our converts. We want to see fruit. You know, we want to see them come to church. You know, and because of what Jesus has done for them in saving them and in dwelling them with His Holy Spirit, there is hope for them to have victory over sin. But, you know, at the same time too, let's never forget, it might not happen. All right, we get that. It might not happen. There will be times where we as a church, we may need to start dealing with somebody as if they were lost, but you realize even if we do, they still could technically be saved. Because as a church, while we have the power to throw somebody out and even see them as unsaved, it, it, we don't have the power to take that salvation away. And, and look what it says in Matthew eighteen seventeen. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He says, talking about, you know, if you have a problem, uh, somebody has a problem with their brother, he's going through the process of dealing with it, and it finally goes to the church. It says, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So did Jesus say he is a heathen or just let him be as one? And so obviously we wouldn't let a lost person come and join this church. So the thing is, if we've got somebody who just won't get right with his brother, who's got grievous sin in his life and just won't get it right and just won't repent, you know what we've got to do? We're going to have to get, basically give him the same standing that we do the lost people out there and say, you know what? We love you, but you, you, you can't be a part of this church until you get this right. And, you know, we don't have any joy in doing that, just like we have no joy in the fact that there's lost people out there that are on their way to hell, but we're not going to let them become members of this church. But they still could technically be saved. This doesn't mean they're definitely heathen. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Paul speaking says, But I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves... That wicked person. And we don't have time to go to all the context of this, but Paul was specifically wanting the church to deal with someone who it appears Paul believed he was saved. The man who had had his father's wife. And you know what Paul said? He said, you know, you have to deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the spirit may be saved. Why did he say that? Because I think Paul thought he was saved. But yet, they're putting him out of the church. They're treating him as though he's not a brother. That's because he wasn't acting like a brother. He wasn't doing what a brother is supposed to do. And you know, and it does appear based on Second Corinthians that this man was in fact saved because it appears that he had repented. But the simple fact is when a saved person acts like a lost person, there comes a point where we have to start treating them like one. That's not us changing the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Salvation is still free. Salvation is still not about works. 
But at the same time, you know, salvation does not guarantee a changed life. But if you don't change your life and if you just continue living wicked and you're not even trying to do right, we might, we're going to have to do that because we can't take the risk of allowing lost people to be a part of this church and influential in this church and to spread leaven and to spread heresy. That's a very dangerous thing. So when we see these type of things manifesting themselves, the kind of fruit that we'd expect from thorns and things that are, are meant to be pulled out and cast away, we got to deal with that. But at the end of the day, we might not be 100% correct. And, uh, but when they act like a lost person, we treat them like a lost person. But understand, if they were saved, they're still saved. I mean, just mark it down for anybody. If they were saved, they're still saved. But if you thought they were saved and they're doing something that clearly seems like something a saved person wouldn't do, the Bible did teach there would be tares sown among the wheat. The Bible does teach there would be those who were part of us and that went out from us. That are, and it's just it's been manifest now. And it's not what we wanted to see. You know, if you're if you're planting a garden and you were planting corn and then you know something else comes up, turnips or something, you know, I, you know you're going to be disappointed. That wasn't what I wanted. And you know what? Of course we want you know wheat in the church. That's what we want. That's what we're shooting for. But sometimes tares are going to sprout up, and you know what? We're disappointed. But you know what? We can't be surprised. God said it was going to happen and it doesn't change the gospel. And you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to say, well, I used to believe in soul winning, but I got this person saved out soul winning one day and then I saw him a week later and he cussed me out. Well, listen, if he got saved, he's still saved even though he cussed you out. But if, if, if I got somebody saved and the next time I saw him, he cussed me out, I'd probably be like, well, maybe he was just trying to get rid of me. You know, I, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm going to think. I'm probably going to think, yeah, maybe he didn't really get it. I, I'm not delusional enough to think that every single person that has ever prayed the sinner's prayer with me has gotten saved. But I can, I can promise you this. Every one of them that believed it in their heart when they did it got saved. 100% of them. 100%. So, you know, here's what you've got to get from this message. It is okay for you to have some kind of some expectations from someone who professes faith in Christ. It's okay for you to do that. You know, while we do not believe one can lose their salvation or that salvation is based on works before or after salvation, it is not wrong for you to make judgments as long as you understand you're not going to be 100%. And your judgment does not determine whether or not they will be in heaven or not. Your judgment is based on whether or not you will have fellowship or not. And so there's going to be some people out there that I might look at and say, you know what? I don't think they're saved. I'm not going to fellowship with that person. But you know what? God's not going to look at my judgment and say, wow, well, I guess I changed my mind too. Okay. Now preachers do that all the time. You know, they think somebody's saved, but some other preacher says they're not saved. And now they don't think they're saved anymore. And it's just like, well, that's weird. All right. You know, but, but either way, we've got to understand, you know, that doesn't determine it. And, you know, as individuals, it's okay if you are like, man, I'm seeing what these people are doing. I don't, I don't think these people are saved. You know, we're going we're gonna to keep our distance. You're not wrong for doing that. Now, you don't need to go out announcing to everybody in the world that they're not saved when you don't even know for sure, especially if it's somewhere where you don't have any authority. You know, it's one thing, too. You know, if it's somebody in our church, we might have to deal with it. But, you know, here's the thing, too. Uh, once we deal with it in our church, then it's taken care of. You know, I, I don't need to go convince the rest of the world that they're not saved. So, you know, if you don't think some preacher saved... Don't listen to them. 
Right, if you don't, I, I would not recommend you listen to any preacher that you don't think is saved. Okay, but if somebody else thinks they are saved, you know, do you really need to make your mission to make sure? Yeah, I just, I got to get Pastor Tommy to agree with me on this thing, and so I'm going to go listen to all their sermons, you know, until I get that proof. You know, it's not really your problem, and and I think that's super weird. But at the same time, I I don't have a problem with you judging that. You know, I wish people who didn't think I was saved would just quit listening to me and leave me alone. <laughs> Good night. I bless my soul if they did that. Well, one final point I want to make is that, you know, the further removed you are from someone, you know, the more likely it is, it's going to be that you're not accurate on these things. But that doesn't mean you still can't judge. Again, you know, that, that preacher on the other side of the country that you've heard some weird stuff from, it's okay if, you're, if you heard him preach something, you're like, I don't think that guy's saved. You know, but understand, you don't know him, you never talked to him, you know, you might not know. But it's, it's, not, it's not wrong that you made that judgment. Just, you know, you might want to be careful, you know, making it your life's mission to convince the whole world of that. That's just really weird, you know. And just understand, there might be someone who's a lot closer to the situation that might make a different judgment than you. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we could all learn this lesson, we're all going to have to learn how to live in a world where people disagree with us. Some people haven't figured out how to do that yet. I mean, they'll do it, but they do it kicking and screaming through the whole thing. And it's pretty funny to watch. But, you know, we can and we will make judgments based on our perception. But while our assessments may be wrong, it doesn't mean our actions were wrong. There are some things that we do need to watch for and we need to check. Proverbs 14:7 says, Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. If you're listening to somebody say weird stuff and it's just like, you know, I'm just not, I'm not sure about this guy. Move on. Well, what if my perception's wrong? I mean, you know, listen, until, until you feel otherwise, you know, just you go from, you don't have, you don't have to listen to everybody. This, this sounded weird. And so, you know, this message flies in the face of the judge, not crowd. We are supposed to judge things. We just want to make sure we do it in the right way and we want to keep these things balanced. And it's, and it's really weird, you know, when we're just, I mean, dogmatically, this person is not saved. Again, go ahead and make your judgment. You know, but, but at the end of the day, understand your judgment is for a certain area and just leave it there. Leave it at that. And it's a, something we're all going to have to do. And I said, everybody believes in some form of perseverance of the saints. And I do believe a person will uh, persevere in their faith. I do believe that a person, I do expect, I, I expect works some, I expect some evidence in that area, but I will tell you it might not happen, but I'm always watching for it. You know, I'm like what the writer of Hebrews said, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. When I see somebody get saved and I know the Holy Spirit's living, I expect them to change some things. But I also understand some people are in some really tough spots. You know, I talked to a lady the other day, got saved when we were in Rockford. I mean, just living in a dumpy house, just she had three little kids, no husband, another baby coming. I mean, you, I mean, you could just tell this lady has just been run through the ringer of life. I can't imagine what she's deals with what her life is like and but you know what i gave her the gospel and she called the lord for salvation and i believe that woman right there who really isn't capable of doing much for god and much for our church that god loves her soul 
And if she believed that message, she'll be saved. But you know what? I can't imagine what it's going to be like for her to try to do right in this life with the kind of baggage that she's carrying. I can't imagine what that would be like. And you know what? I'm not going to. If I go, uh, if I see her one of these days and she's pregnant with another kid out of wedlock, I'm not going to just declare her unsaved and be like, and give up soul winning after that. I, I, I don't, I have no idea what that woman's going through. We have no idea what most people are going through. We've not walked a mile in their shoes. And so, you know, what we just need to do is we just say, the gospel is the gospel. It is that simple. We're just going to keep telling as many people as we can. And you know what? At the end of the day, we'll let God sort out. Because you know what? There's a big day coming where He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Where there's going to be a gathering. And He'll, he'll get it right. But in the meantime, we're not going to get anybody saved. We're not out telling people. But we're out telling people. There, a lot of these people are going to get saved. But uh, don't act like judging salvation is never right. Yeah, we, we do need to do it. And so hopefully this all made sense and I covered everything and all the questions and things that come up. And so uh, I, I do think sometimes we get out of hand because this is where people get confused. They're like, you know, the IFB, you always preach once saved, always saved. But then you're always taking people that you thought were good Christians and declaring them unsaved. How can, how can you really believe? I hear that all the time. And, and, it, and it's, a, it's a legitimate concern. And it's just, you know, sometimes guys get out of line. But sometimes it is a clear case of they went out from us because they were not of us. We must recognize that doctrine is also in the Bible. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And... Uh, just the clarity it gives us on these doctrines. And I pray, Lord, that uh, everybody got what they were supposed to from this message. Lord, we thank you that salvation is free, that it's not about works, that we can never lose it. But uh, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to uh, you know, be careful in our judging of salvation, that we'll do it right and we'll do it uh, when it's our place and when we should be doing it. And I pray, Lord, that you won't let people who cause confusion on this subject to uh, discourage us from soul winning and uh, telling as many people as they can. I pray that bad preaching on this subject won't cause people to muddy up the gospel in any way, but we'll, be, we'll preach it uh, straight and clear just like it's in your word. In your name we pray. Amen.